Uh, we love you, Evan, and you are always welcome here. And we will take your help. Someone's got to watch those bouncy castles, man. <laughs> and sometimes you know this because we work with them. Sometimes, you know, the boat kid, the boat mill kids can be just as tough, you know. So you're, you're doing the bouncy castle, and you're kind of like, I might need, I might need my own protection here. I'm trying to protect them, but now I need protection. Uh, we, uh, we up our insurance every year because of those bounce castles as a church. So this morning, it's been a while since we've read. It was about 20 minutes ago, but we're going to be back in John chapter number one for just a couple minutes before communion. John chapter number one. It's a short and simple passage, but with a profound invitation from Jesus. In this text, I mean, it seems so small, but it's actually going to challenge us in a big way to accept what we don't know and act on what we do know. In other words, it's going to challenge us to embrace the adventure of following Jesus. So just for a little background, this is the beginning of Jesus' ministry, John chapter 1. Last week, we looked at John the Baptist. We talked about how he was the forerunner for Jesus. He got the crowd ready. That was his whole goal is to gather disciples so that those disciples would be ready to leave him, to leave John the Baptist and to go and to follow Jesus so that his ministry could be kick-started. And today, John the Baptist starts to meet that goal because two of his disciples are going to leave him and start following Jesus even though they're not going to have much information to go on. And these two disciples are one, John the Beloved, different than John the Baptist. John the Beloved is the one who writes the book of John. It's that John. He's one of the guys who starts following Jesus today. And the second guy is Andrew, one of the 12 disciples who was Peter's brother. This is a couple things. One, it's a story of Jesus gathering the first two of his 12 disciples. Next week and weeks after, we'll see him gather the rest. This is also John's story, as he writes, John the Beloved's story, recalling how he started to follow Jesus. It recounts where his journey began, the first few steps of his adventure. Here's a question for you this morning. Are you walking with Jesus are you following Jesus? One way you know is that your Christian life feels like somewhat of an adventure. How many of you know there are ups and downs as we follow Jesus? There are twists and turns. And yet the reward for following Jesus is so great. I mean, it is the greatest reward of all time. The reward makes it worth all of it because the reward is knowing Jesus, being with Jesus, living life as we were created to live it, life with God, which is what we were made for. Would you say you're following Jesus? You're on adventure with him. If not, why not? Maybe it's because of the three reasons we'll look at today. Out of this text, we simply want to just read through it. I'll explain it. But then I want to point out three things that keep us from going on adventure with Jesus. The first of which is insecurity. 
particularly around the area of our knowledge, insecurity in what we know. Let's just look at verses 35 through 37. We're going to try to get those on the screen for you if you want to follow along or if you can follow along in your Bible. John 1, 35 through 37, it says, again, the next day after John the Baptist stood and two of his disciples, looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, behold, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they left John the Baptist and followed Jesus. Literally, here's how simple this scene is. Okay, don't overthink this. These two guys, it's John the Beloved and Andrew, they're with John the Baptist in the river or by the river where he was preaching and baptizing. John the Baptist turns to these two boys, they're his disciples for now, and he says, that guy over there walking by, that's the Lamb of God. And these two disciples of John the Baptist, they look at each other, they look at John the Baptist, they get out of the river, and they start walking behind Jesus and whoever might be surrounding him at that point. That's literally, that's the story so far. They hear that's the lamb of God. All they know at this point is that this Jesus person, this guy, he is sent from God. He's a lamb, which to their mind, a Jewish mind in that day, that means he is sent here to take away sin. That's what he's here for. And off on their journey, they go. This is enough information for them to get started. And by the way, this is enough information for you to get started. Do not get so insecure about what you perceive as your lack of knowledge. I'll tell you this, discipleship doesn't start with you knowing everything about Jesus. Discipleship is the process of you learning about Jesus. And learning is okay. Don't let insecurity related to knowledge keep you from the adventure. Perhaps you're here and you simply don't feel like you know enough Bible. You don't know enough about Jesus to really be with him. You don't know enough about Jesus to, to really know him or be loved by him or to really follow him. That's not true. These guys, they just jump in. And not only do they not know much about Jesus, they don't even know what they're looking for. I mean, look at the next verse, verse 38. Verse 38, it says, Then Jesus turned and saw them following, and he saith unto them, What seek ye? And they said unto him, uh, Rabbi, which is to say master, teacher, where are you staying? Where do you dwell? Where dwellest thou? Uh, to be honest, I actually kind of find this verse a little bit humorous. Okay, so here's the idea. These two guys, they are, are pumped about what they hear from John the Baptist. That's the Lamb of God. They start walking behind Jesus but they do not introduce themselves, right? Like every so often Jesus turns around and looks at them and they kind of just like look the other way, like they're talking about something else. Like we just happen to be following 20 feet behind you in the wilderness, right? And they're just kind of like looking away, like not really, not really, you know, introducing themselves, saying much, but following him at a distance because they're so curious and, and they want to step out on this adventure. So I sort of see Jesus and his kindness turning back to them with like a slight smirk on his face saying, what are you guys looking for? You're looking around, but you're behind me. We're in the wilderness. There's no path here. What are you guys looking for? And here's what's funny. I love this. They don't really answer. They stumble for an answer. Jesus says, what seek ye? 
Meaning, what are you looking for? And they're like some of you guys trying to find a restaurant after church. You don't even know where you want to end up. Takes you an hour just to get it down to, I think we want Chinese. But which Chinese place? Not sure. It's kind of like how they, 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 they kind of stumble for this answer. They don't really even know where they want to go. They don't even know really what they want out of this Lamb of God. So they, should, they, they change the subject a little bit. This is like going to be a long conversation, Jesus. Like we're not really sure. So where are you dwelling? Like let's get to your tent or your house or wherever he's at for this day. And let's hash this out. Some of you, you're here and you don't even know what you're looking for. You don't know what you want. And that's okay. Not necessarily forever, but for today, that's okay. I mean, just start like they did. Do not let your insecurity around this area of knowledge keep you from following Jesus with all you've got, with all your heart right now. Because if you're willing to just go to his dwelling place, if you're willing to simply dwell with Jesus, Jesus is going to extend to you the most incredible invitation, the adventure of finding some answers. Will you accept this invitation? Many do not. The second thing that keeps us from our adventure with Jesus is an unwillingness to get outside of our comfort zone. Look at verse 38 again, and then we'll also hit verse 39 on this one. Then Jesus turned, saw them following, and he said to them, What seek ye? And they said unto him, Rabbi, or master, teacher, where are you staying? Where do you dwell? He said to them, Come and see. And they came and they saw where he dwelt, and he abode with them that day. It was about the 10th hour. So in verse 38, we see that they do know one thing. They know something. They know enough to call him Rabbi, Master. Right, that's a great place to start. Just admitting, hey, Jesus, you're the one in charge here. You lead the way. They don't know everything about what they, 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 they're seeking, but they know whatever's worth seeking is found in this guy. They don't even know who, who exactly he is, but they know whatever's worth knowing is found in him, Jesus Christ. And so they ask, where are you dwelling? And his answer to them is utterly amazing. It's amazing. He says to them, come and see. What a gracious Jesus, a loving Jesus. This is our kind and good Jesus. These are words of gospel, words of good news. Come and see. What an amazing invitation. And I love how the next line simply says, so they came and saw. It's amazing how much we complicate our walk with Jesus. This is such a simple story in one sense. But there's a little bit of complexity in it at the same time. I mean, you have to remember, the, this story, it's so simple, but yet who's writing this story? The guy who lived it, John the Beloved, who writes the book, John, that tells the story of Jesus in our Bibles. From what we understand from church history, John writes this book as an old man, his call to follow Jesus, this day he's writing about, happened to him as a very young man. Scholars think there's probably a 50-year gap between the day he's writing about here in John chapter 1, maybe even more than 50 years later, he's writing about it. He's remembering it. So it's weird because, like, why is he remembering such a simple scene 50-plus years later? Why is he including that in his book 50-plus years later? It's because... 
When Jesus said to him, come and see, John's life was never the same, ever again. Everything changed for John at this point. And let me tell you why. It's because of where Jesus was actually leading him to. When he says, come and see, where did they go? You say, well, the tent or the dwelling place out in the wilderness. No, ultimately, when Jesus invited them to come and see, he was inviting them to the edge of their comfort zone. Ultimately, when Jesus invites us to come and see, he is actually inviting us to the very edge of our comfort zone. I mean, it's right here in the text. We, we might not be able to see it with our American Western eyes thousands of years later, but the idea is, look, they don't know where they're going. They don't even know if he has a dwelling place when they ask him this. Additionally, wherever they're going with this new person it says it's about the 10th hour, which is about four o'clock in the afternoon. So they're probably going to be staying the night. Here's why John remembers this so well, 50 years plus later. Everything about this day was memorable because everything about it was unfamiliar. Following Jesus, truly following him, starts at the very edge of your comfort zone. Your comfort zone, that's where all your idols dwell. That's where your false gods are. It's only once you get out of the comfort zone that you find where Jesus dwells and you dwell with him. If you are seeking Jesus in your comfort zone, you might never find him. There's a story about this in the scriptures. It's about a guy, he's called the rich young ruler. And he comes to Jesus and he's seeking, but he doesn't even really know quite what, if you boil down the story. And Jesus says, that's fine, sell all you have, give the proceeds to the poor, come and follow me. In other words, get out of your comfort zone, come with me and we'll get you some answers. And you know the story is that he couldn't do it, wouldn't do it. He wouldn't go to the edge of his comfort zone. He wouldn't cross that line. And the Bible ends that story in a very interesting way. It just simply says that the rich young ruler went away sad. It's not much of an adventure. Our adventure starts at the edge of our comfort zone. And if you are willing to accept that invitation to come and see, come and see. If you're willing to go to that line and even cross that line with Jesus, there's this great reward and that you will find some answers to your biggest questions. They go to the dwelling place of Jesus for the day. They have a conversation with him and the story goes on to tell us that they finally figure out more about who this Jesus, who this Lamb of God is. They figure out this is the Messiah, like God in the flesh, the Savior of Israel and the Savior of the whole world. And the whole time, what they were seeking, they figure out, was just him. 100% of him, 1,000% of him, his teaching, his way of life, his grace, his strength, his Holy Spirit. Really, deep down, what we all really want, if we could uncover all the layers of the soul, really what we're longing for is just him. Because ultimately, if you go back to the Garden of Eden story, what we were ultimately created for was just him. Life with God. And here... They have found it right outside of their comfort zone. And it's so exciting, they got to go tell someone about it. Check out verse 40 and 41. Verse 40 and 41, as the story continues, it says, One of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. 
He first findeth his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah. We have found the God man. We have found the Christ. Andrew goes and he gets Peter because Andrew is so excited about life with God, life with the Messiah. You see, inside your comfort zone, nothing exciting really happens. Jesus takes us outside of our comfort zone to the unfamiliar and something so exciting happens, we can't help but go tell everyone about what's going on. Here's a question for you this morning. Do you have really exciting things to tell other people about Jesus? Maybe you need an adventure with him, whether that's serving in Poe Mill, serving at, here at Griggs, serving in Neighborhood Network, speaking up in Griggs Group. Maybe you need to go to counseling yourself, get help with your issues. Maybe it's time to share your faith with a non-believer. Maybe it's time to go on that mission trip. Maybe it's time for you to just give something away that God's calling you to give away. Where's Jesus inviting you? Come and see, come and see. And is there anything that he's inviting you to come and see that you're resisting because you're unwilling to get out of your comfort zone. Here's the word for you. Accept what you don't know. Another word for that is faith. Have some faith. Act on what you do know. Another word for that, obedience. Obey Jesus. Not being willing to get out of your comfort zone is what keeps a lot of people from the adventure of following Jesus what else keeps us from our adventure with Jesus? The adventurous life of following Jesus would be the fear of looking irresponsible to others. The fear of looking irresponsible. I see it all the time. People hesitating to jump in to a serving opportunity because they fear someone might call them irresponsible. Their parents, their spouse, their boss. Someone's going to think, man, that's so irresponsible. That's what they fear. And hey, it does happen. There's a story at the end of the book of Mark about a lady named Mary. She knows that Jesus is about to die and the Bible tells us that she goes and she gets her most lavish, her most expensive ointment and she anoints the head of Jesus. And then Judas, dun, 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 speaks up. And what does he say? He says, she is so irresponsible. That ointment could have been sold and the money distributed to those in need. A word of advice. When Judas calls you irresponsible, consider the source. But I know it can be confusing. Jesus calls her a worshiper. Judas, he calls her a irresponsible. And it almost seems sometimes like Judas has a point. Like, think about these two guys in these verses. This is Andrew and his brother Peter. They're fishermen, and they are both in this story. If you read the whole thing, they are both about to leave their steady paying jobs to be preachers, to do what Jesus has really called them to do, to be apostles. And not only does that look irresponsible, there's a piece of us that kind of wonders that, you know, that might actually be irresponsible. And I know how that feels. I've had to make those moves myself in my adventure with Jesus. Like your question, is this faith or is this dumb? That's a tough question to face. But let me tell you what makes following Jesus actually the responsible thing to do. It's Jesus. 
At the end of the day, he knows everything that you don't, which is why faith in him actually works. And he's offered to take responsibility for you. Jesus knows everything you don't. Look, look at the last verse, verse 42. He brought his brother Peter to Jesus. And when Jesus beheld him, he said, you're Simon, the son of John. You're going to now be called Cephas, which is the Aramaic translation of the name Peter. It's the same name. You're going to be called Peter, which means rock. Andrew brings his brother Simon to Jesus. Here comes disciple number three of 12. Jesus looks at him and says, hi, Simon. From now on, we're calling you rock. And if you know the storyline of the New Testament, you know what Jesus immediately does in changing his name to Rock is he prophesies the future for, for Peter, the kind of life that Peter will lead. He knows that he knows what Peter can't even possibly know in this moment. He knows what Peter can't even imagine, that Peter will be a rock solid founder of the early church. He's not the founder of the early church, but he is a founder in the early church. Later, Jesus will tell him, you are Peter, you're the rock. And upon this rock, your confession of faith, I will build my church. And then when we get to the book of Acts, chapter number two, the first guy to preach is Peter. And at that sermon, the launch of the church is held. And the church starts and goes all over the world to the uttermost parts, the Bible says. So what does that all mean, him changing his name? This opens our eyes to the fact that Jesus actually already knows these guys. Throughout the whole story, Jesus is the one who knows what everybody else does not. It starts with Jesus knowing that those boys are behind him. It starts with him knowing what they want, even though they don't know what they want. It, it, then he comes to see what one day Peter will accomplish. He knows what one day you will accomplish if you'll follow him. He already knows the story beginning to end. So it might look irresponsible, but it is not because Jesus knows everything we don't. And because Jesus has already offered to take responsibility for us. Let me ask you this final question as we head into communion. Jesus laid down his life. God himself was dead for three days. On the surface, does this look responsible or irresponsible? He could have called down a legion of angels to rescue him from the cross. In fact, when he was on trial, Pilate, the others, they asked him, defend yourself, and he stayed silent. But make no mistake, he was not being irresponsible. He was taking responsibility for you. Jesus was dying for your sin. He didn't have any sin to die for himself. He was not responsible for all you've done. But he took responsibility for what you've done. He took the blame as if it was him. And he died on the cross and forgave us for all of it. Taking the punishment of sin upon himself. So maybe if he'll take responsibility for our sin, the worst part of us, he'll take responsibility for the rest of our life as well. I'll put it this way. Jesus didn't let anything keep him from walking with you. Not even death, right? He rose again, amen? Three days later, he is alive and well, and he has sent the Holy Spirit to the earth, and through his spirit, through his word, he is still speaking to you. Today, he says, come and see. 
And he's still willing to show you what you're seeking is him. And he's willing to give you himself, 100% of himself, 1,000% of himself. So don't let anything keep you from walking with him. Not a lack of knowledge, not your comfort zone, and not what others might think. Accept what you don't know. Act on what you do know. Embrace the adventure of following Jesus. Our ushers can go ahead and come up. We're going to go into our time of communion to pray about and reflect on these things. Communion is a sacrament of the church. Jesus himself told us to do this. It was Jesus who gave us this to do. And the scriptures tell us that we're doing this for a couple of reasons. One, it's time to remember Jesus taking responsibility for our actions. He died for our sins. The body, the blood, it's represented by the bread, the juice. Again, this is time not only to remember that, but to remember ourselves, to examine ourselves, to consider our lives, our devotion, our worship, to ask ourselves, are we following Jesus? And if there's an area in which we're really not trusting, we're really disobeying, this is our time to confess our sin to Jesus in our hearts and ask him forgiveness, to remember the grace we need to keep going because we're daily falling short. So this is a time of self-examination. It's a time of unity. This is, the picture is the whole church is coming around one table and Jesus is the thing that unites us when everything else tries to divide us. So this is for the church. In other words, it's for those who are, are, are desiring to be at the table with Jesus. If you're a non-Christian, we're glad you're here. We love you, but you don't have to take it. Just let the plate pass. This is about us uniting around Christ for all who will have him and who will follow him. So the ushers are going to pass out the elements. The bread and the juice are stacked. So make sure to reach down and get a set of two cups. Then you hold it. Wait for me to come back up. And while you wait, as everybody gets it, you pray and seek God silently, confessing your sin, calling on him. And then after everybody has theirs, I'll come back up and we'll all take the elements in unity together. So I'll pray and we'll pass out communion. Jesus, may nothing keep us from you. May nothing keep us from the adventure you've called us to individually. And may nothing keep us from the life, the adventurous life you've called us to corporately as a church body. Lord, I pray that this would be a time for us to examine, to confess, and then to worship, to take the body and the blood and remember that this is what took away our sin. The Lamb of God who died in our place. In Jesus' name, amen.